So just that one thing alone, I think that's chronic in our industry, the not charging for the end glaze when it's a different product. It's, you know, your time, your expertise, your education, you're not gone are the days of grabbing, you know, the squirt bottle and adding a little bit of water and pulling everything through and having that alkalinity running over the ends when all you need is a little refresh. Um, but just not charging for that, just at the, the, oh, I'll just throw in a free brow wax. I'll just throw in doing a glaze on the ends. Oh, she only got a couple highlights. I'm not going to charge her for those where I always equate it to the restaurant business. When, when a stylist that I'm coaching says, but, um, oh, I feel bad. I'm like, when is the last time you went to a restaurant and you ordered an appetizer, an entree and a dessert and your waiter said appetizer and desserts on me? Never. Unless you had like someone's mm -hmm. hair in your dinner or a, a tooth or something <laughs> show up in your salad. You know, it's, it has to be like something was a mistake. Hey friends, I'm Jennifer and you're listening to the Beauty Business Game Changer Podcast, a podcast for beauty industry providers and business owners that are wanting to level up their game to create a profitable career. If you're feeling stuck and you want more out of this industry, then join me as I share with you my strategies, lessons I've learned along the way, and how I overcame fear by shifting my mindset to build a healthy business. I built a solid book behind the chair, launched a bridal company, became a salon suite owner to most recently opening up a salon. As creative entrepreneurs, we need an education that empowers us and makes an impact on helping us raise our standards. My mission is to teach you how you can reach your goals quickly, build your books and your business faster, and master the framework for creating a successful and rewarding career. Thank you for joining me. Let's do this. Welcome to your Game Changer Podcast. Welcome back to the Beauty Game Changer Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer. You guys, I'm so excited today because I have not had a guest like this before on the podcast, which I'm so excited about. She is a career colorist, a past salon owner, independent educator, author, and life coach. Her passion is paying it forward and sharing her love of hair color, traveling throughout the country, teaching tips and techniques to stylists struggling with form formulation and building their businesses. And I don't know about you guys, but if you're behind the chair doing color, we've all been there, right? I'm so excited to welcome to the show, Elaine Travis. Welcome, Elaine. Thank you so much, Jennifer. This is such an honor and a pleasure to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always so fun to connect with so many people throughout the world in the industry. Um, what what area are you from? I'm now in St. Pete Beach, Florida, but I've been in Philadelphia my entire life up until two years ago. So I finally got away from the cold and the snow and I wake up to palm trees and sunshine. <laughs> oh, that's definitely my dream. I'm in the Chicago area looking at snow right now and uh, I'm thinking about Florida. So I love that. Elaine, tell our listeners about how you got into this in industry. You, you are a color educator expert, and I just want to know how did that all evolve and happen for you? Well, the beginning beginning was a fifth grade 
haircut. My, my best friend wanted a haircut and I volunteered and she let me. And it turned out actually pretty well, you know, household scissors in her bedroom, the whole night. You can imagine what that was like. And I was hooked. You know, fifth grade was the friend haircut. Eighth grade was my first wax pot, waxing all my girlfriend's eyebrows and just knew I was destined to go to beauty school. But where the color focus happened was a disaster on my sister's head. She had done <laughs> the typical sun in, you know, off the drugstore shelf, thought she was fabulously blonde, but she was very unfabulously blonde. She had that really brassy, typical, um, not quite light enough to be blonde and not quite normal enough to be natural. And I took her, I was assisting at the time, I was in beauty school and I worked for a really strong colorist and I proudly brought my sister in and said, you know, my boss is going to change everything for you. She specializes in blondes. It's going to be amazing. And it wasn't amazing. It was really, really bad. It was the only bad color I had ever seen my boss do. So when I went to school, beauty school the next day, I thought, well, my teacher is going to save me because she knows everything, right? And she's going to be even better than my boss. And the teacher couldn't help me. And then I turned to the salon owner, I mean, the school owner, and he couldn't help me. And that was it. That's where the fire was started. I said, right then and there in 1985 in beauty school, I will never allow myself to be in this situation again, where I don't know how to fix something in hair color. And so it began, you know, the quest for every piece of hair color education I could possibly get my hands on, which led to attending the first Hair Color USA in Miami and meeting a wonderful stranger that I don't even know her name. I can't reach out to her and tell her how much she has done for my career. But I talk about it in my book, how much that one person who was a total complete stranger completely changed my life as a colorist. She very patiently turned over her business card at a dinner at the event and explained to me that formulation is based on what pigment is coming out of the hair naturally when lightening. And I now know it to be remaining pigment contribution. At the time, I had not heard of it. It was like the light bulb went on, the heavens opened up, the, the sun mm -hmm. came beating out of the clouds. I was like, oh my gosh, I totally get it. I finally totally get it. And my life was changed from that point on because I was able to master all things color and I was able to train countless stylists to become amazing six-figure colorists. And, you know, now it's it's my life's passion to just keep trying to reach as many struggling stylists as possible to help that, you know, that open up the sky and the, and the sun shines in moment for more people when they get, you know, really how simple it actually can be um, when you take away all the scary chemistry and overcomplication of things. It really comes down to, you know, what can hair color really do? It can only lighten, deepen, change the tone or, you know, um, be on the same level and cover gray. It can only really do four things. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a life lifelong passion and I'm, I'm, I wake up every morning so excited to get to do what I do. I love that. Elaine, I think so many people can relate to that, whether they have been in beauty school or after beauty school, or they've been experienced. I think that we have all faced color with questions of why did it happen this way 
and not fully understanding hair and the chemistry of color. I'll never forget the first hair color that I did. And um, before I even started, I was in the back room crying because I was like, I don't have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, and I, I love that you took that confusion and curiosity and probably being uh, upset that you, you couldn't get your sister's hair right, that, you know, you, you took that idea and ran with it and created something from from nothing and that the idea that people need to know in order to color hair correctly so uh, how long did it take you before you like honed in on this on color and becoming a color expert I think what happened was I came out of school because my journey began literally in fifth grade. You know, I had all of the confidence, but not all of the skill that I needed. So as soon as I came out of school, I had this, you know, really cocky, all my friends love me. Everybody loves how I do their hair. I've got this. I don't need to be anybody's assistant. I don't want to fold towels and sweep floors. I want to get my hands in hair. And then you get behind your first chair and you realize how much you don't know. And the person that I worked for was more than happy to give me a chair. He, he was not the right mentor. He didn't know how to help me with hair color. So I quickly found out that I was living that fake it till you make it path. And it was exhausting. It was exhausting to talk clients out of color because I didn't know how to do it. You know, I, I was so confident that I would say, oh, my gosh, your hair is beautiful. You don't want to do that to your color, you know, and how many times can you do that in your career? And let alone turning away a high ticket service and just doing cutting, blow drying and perming it back in the 80s. It was if anyone had hair, you permed it. Right. So mm -hmm. I was but more than proficient in perming. And I I took a look at my situation and I thought, you know, the, the proud me thought I have to stay here and stick it out and, and do my own thing because I want my own chair. And the humble student in me said, don't keep going like this and keep faking it. Get the help that you need and take a step back and swallow your pride and go find a mentor and a strong training program. So I was looking for the perfect fit. I had asked around and the only salon in my area that actually offered training in hair color was a very large mall chain salon. And they were like, everybody respected that salon. That was like the place to go. And I thought they're not gonna want me, you know, it's the, the, the imposter syndrome, the Debbie Doubter. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm never gonna get that job. So I went, I interviewed and they said, we would love to hire you and you have to choose color or cut or departmentalize, mm. which would you like to choose? And of course it was hundred percent color. And then they proceeded to say, you will be with us for two years in an assistant position before you ever touch a single client. This is a very grueling wow. training process. You know, most people don't make it. They were all really scary and, and negative about it. And I said, you know what? It is what it is. I can't go on the way that I am. I have to give it a shot. So long story short, I went, I started the training. I was very eager. I showed up early. I always was on time. I always had my makeup on. I always was professional. And I never, ever spent time in what I now, when I teach, call the broke room. I was never in the break room complaining or gossiping or, you know, at the time, of course, we didn't have iPhones. And we just had magazines. But I never sat and just wasted time. I always would stand next to the busiest person in the salon and take it all in. 
So my big break came in another location when someone needed a major procedure done and she was going to be out for eight weeks. And she was the most booked colorist in the salon and also one of the owners. And they called around and said, you know, who do you have? And they said, we have this girl. She's only two weeks into the two-year training, but she's very ambitious and eager. Do you want to give her a shot? And that was my big break. And and it's, you know, it's the the whole story of like the universe, you know, if you show up and you do the work, good things are going to happen. So I got picked over people that were probably a year and a half into the training because they were doing the whole broke room bitch fest. So I got in there, I did a good job and I didn't just follow her recipes and just become like, you know, uh, an assembly line colorist. I looked at what she had and I looked at how can I make it even more special and make these clients feel not only comfortable with me, but excited to be with me in the future. So I kind of tweaked some of her formulas, added a few complimentary face framing highlights, did a few things differently. And from even when she came back from that point on, I was a booked, busy colorist. I never had to go back into the, the training program. Wow. That is, that is such an amazing opportunity. And to, to, to have all those guests to uh, accommodate and to take after a, a senior stylist, a senior colorist. I love that you call it the, the broke room. I have not heard that before, but that's so <laughs> true. People who are standing in the back, I'm like, yeah, you're not, you're probably not the one who's doing well. So I think that's, you know, I think that there's like two different type of uh, colorists out there. And those, those are the ones who are hungry and motivated and ready to serve. And then those who are just re ready for a handout. Um, and, and I love that you just really took that opportunity and uh, gave it everything you had from, from there, you know, that's probably, that was probably a pitiful, pivotal moment for you. Uh, how long did you end up staying there doing color with them? I stayed there about a year and a half. And my other, you know, big aha moment was, being, feeling like a grown up and going to get my taxes done for the first time in like a real full time job. And I went and sat with, you know, one of those mall temporary tax things that you walk into with no appointment. And I was very basic. It was a W 2. I didn't own anything. I still lived with my parents. I was 20 years old. And um, the salon that I was working in took all these fees out of our pay for supplies, for assistance, for this and that. And they called it all these you know, special terms, but basically it was what you thought was going to be 40% commission became in reality more like 35% commission. And I was a busy, busy colorist, fully booked. And I was barely able to pay my car payment and my like very minimal bills. So when I asked the accountant, you know, I said, oh, you know, the, the salon takes out for this, this and this, isn't that a write-off? And she said, well, no, the way that your company has it set up, they are getting that write off on their end as well. They're taking it away from you, but they're also writing it off as an expense. And I said, well, that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> and she said, no, it doesn't, does it? And I said, well, what do I do? And she said, sounds like you need to get another job. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I have always known that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't think it would happen at such a young age, but what always bothered me, even when I was the most booked and the most successful, it bothered me that I always had to 
have everybody's behavior and the culture around me affect me and my book when I had no control over it. I couldn't control how they showed up, how they were dressed, whether they were professional, whether they reeked of the cigarette that they just went out to take a break with. And it really bothered me. And that's the the horrible control freak in me, but it's also the part that makes me more driven to do better and be better. And I thought the only way I'm going to be able to do this is to be on my own. And I, I had never aspired to own a big salon and have many employees. My goal was what is now the solo suite setup. I always say I, I kind of was one of the first people to invent the solo suite. I found a very small 400 square feet space and just opened by myself at 22 years old with no business plan, no loans, no money. It just was like all passion. And I got a bartending job, you know, bartend it, stayed up all hours of the night, bartending, saving my money. And that's what I bought my furniture with. That's how I opened my first salon. So that's kind of how that happened. And then because it was successful, I had to keep hiring another person, another person, another person, because each person would get drained really quickly by me and then booked really quickly. And then that led to a second location. So like everything from that point on kind of just organically grew um, because the systems were good and they were in place for continued growth. Wow. Yeah. And I think that coming from your first position, working with somebody who wasn't giving you the right tools and resources of how, like the principles, the theory of hair color, hair design, like you saw the importance of that. And I think that when a educator has that, they're really able to train people fast as opposed to a very lengthy training program or working with somebody who doesn't know uh, how to educate them. Um, how long were you a part of that salon, the salon that you owned? Um, I just finished my 30th year when I moved here to Florida. So I left my, wow. my 30 year legacy with my, uh, my daughter. I have two children. My daughter's 27, my son's 22, and they both went to college for entrepreneurship. So when she graduated with her entrepreneurship degree, she got out and was like, okay, now what? You know, she knew she wanted to have her own business, but she didn't know what that would look like. So she had been uh, managing a yoga studio very successfully, had about the same amount of employees, maybe a little bit more than what my salon was. And when we, we were planning on moving and just remotely keeping the salon and I would fly back and forth, you know, quarterly have meetings, all of that. And I said, you know what, why don't you try it and see, you know, management and entrepreneurship is the same no matter what business you have. It's a lot of responsibility, a lot of um, self-discipline and, you know, having the drive to get things done when you have nobody to answer to. And it just worked out so well. I was concerned. I, you know, most salon owners are the highest producing employees, right? That's usually the, the thing that happens. So my book was huge and I was leaving my clients behind and we didn't know what that was going to look like. We didn't know whether the new colors that we hired could handle them. She was really green. She was brand new. I spent three months just supercharging her training and, and having as many classes as possible in a three month period. And it ended up that at the end of year one of the transition with my daughter, the numbers were up 40% without me there. So wow. she just did amazing. And she's still, I'm so proud of her, how, how well she has done. Because 
she, she says, mom, I've grown up in your salon. You know, it's been, I had my salon before I had my children. So that's all they've ever heard about their entire lives is shop talk at the kitchen table, unfortunately. So she, she knew all of the history of, of there is two locations that she is owning now. Taking care no, of we ended up we the new location. I was able to purchase the building. So when we got that built out and successful, we phased out the first location and kept one large location. Wow, that's awesome to own to own the real estate. That's definitely um I think to your advantage, would you say? Absolutely. Yes. I love that. And I and I like the fact that you touched base on like you know, being the highest producer behind the chair, I think a lot of salon owners that listen to the podcast, um, they are in the same position where they are the highest, you know, paid uh, service provider there. I know in my particular area, I've had salon owners reach out to me of like wanting to transition. And I think that it's, it's such a blessing that your daughter has had the experience and whatnot and, and was able to take the leadership and the, and the reins over. I think selling a salon is the absolute hardest thing to do. I've been a stylist for 34 years. I've been an educator for seven years. I owned a salon for 30 years and I tried to sell my first location. When my second location got up and running, it was super successful turnkey the next person would simply have to show up, turn the lights on and have a very successful business. And what scares people away from taking those opportunities is that you are selling the possibility that your staff is all going to stay and be happy. And you can't promise that. So it's scary for the next person, unless it's an employee within the business, which most times employees are happy that they don't have to do the running of the salon things. Most of them have no interest in taking over that responsibility. So I've been at this a long time and I have a lot of friends in the industry and I only know one person, one out of everyone I've met in 34 years that successfully sold her salon for a really good price. She was able to go off into the sunset and, and do her thing. And within three years of her selling it, the entire salon just walked out and they all just went into suites. So that person that paid that high ticket for the business only got three years before it fizzled out because the leadership change was too much for the staff. They tried to stick it out and it just wasn't the same. So it's really difficult. And I think most owners don't realize how long of a process it's going to be. And I think they wait until they're completely burned out and completely over it. And then they feel overwhelmed with how difficult it is and they end up just closing, selling off the furniture. And that's, you know, there's no retirement. There's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's, it's really disappointing. Yeah. I definitely have been hearing a lot more stories like this and I believe that it needs to be a conversation um, in the industry. That's more, I don't want to say popular, but just more discussed about, you know, what happens after several years of being in the industry where you're ready to pivot, like for yourself, Elaine, would you say that you were ready to pivot much earlier than just two years ago? Oh my gosh. Seven years ago is when my itch started. It was such an overwhelming, I love, I do a lot of self-help type things and the, the conversation kept coming back to your sole purpose, your purpose, your purpose, your passion, your, and I'm like, oh, 
what does that mean? What does that mean? And you keep hearing that word. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. It's that pecking at your soul that every day is Groundhog Day and there has to be more to your life than this. I had accomplished everything that I wanted to accomplish from a salon owner standpoint. I met every goal that I ever wanted to meet. And when I got there, it's kind of like climbing up to the top of a mountain and going, oh, crap, I have to go all the way back down now. <laughs> so when I got to where I wanted to be, I was like, I just want to teach and train other people. I don't want to have to then get them busy, keep them busy, manage them and lead them. That was my least favorite part of my business was the leadership responsibility. I loved the training, the education, the marketing, all of that. Um, so I actually started to create this little education center in my salon in the upstairs. I had like a classroom set up and I started reaching out to local salons near me saying, let me train your people. And of course they were like, what are you talking about? They thought I was trying to steal their employees. I'm like, no, trust me. I don't want, I don't want my own employees right now. I just want to train people. I love watching people light up and having that light bulb moment of I get it. And that's what fueled me. So I was mm -hmm. training people so quickly that we kept growing out of my space because we only had so many chairs. So it was getting to the point where if I didn't pivot, I was always going to have too many qualified stylists and not enough chairs, which was going to lead to opening another location, which I already knew was not a good fit for me. So it's kind of like the universe is going to get you there. It's either going to be super bumpy and uncomfortable, and you're going to get a million cuts and scrapes along the way when you fight it, or you can just go with it and just let it take you where you belong. And then when you get there, you're like, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. Mm, and that's such a good feeling to, to find that like sweet spot. And um, when when you started to do more of this independent education, like was there like a particular moment that you were like, I'm on the right path? Um, yes, I, I attended a public speaking course that was excellent. And it took me way outside of my comfort zone. And after day one, I literally bought, I'm not a big crier and I had this beautiful convertible. I'm in California. My commute back to my hotel was on the beautiful Pacific coast highway. It was an absolutely stunningly gorgeous day. It was like something out of a movie. I felt like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And I could not stop sobbing the whole way home. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why am I crying so much? It was, it was like this big emotional release that I had never experienced before. And I think that I was so uncomfortable because it was so new and so foreign to me. Every step of this next future pivot that I knew I needed to make was so hard. And that's when, when I look back at every single step in my life, when things were the hardest is when I had the most success and the most growth. So I think I was crying because I'm like, oh crap, here we go again. <laughs> this is going to be really hard, but I actually know that this is what's meant to happen. And, you know, every show that I go to, because I don't know if anyone listening knows this, but speaking at hair shows is the lowest paying job I've ever had in my entire life. I had jobs in high school that I got paid better. And every single time I speak at a show, when I finish and I do my accounting, I always figure out that it costs me money to go and teach at that show, that I made no money, no profit, but I have a smile from ear to ear and I have a list of feedback from 
everywhere, emails, texts, Instagram, Facebook. Oh my gosh, that was the best class I've ever been to. I'm so happy I found you. You've changed my career. I was ready to quit. And I look at my daughter who comes to the shows with me all the time. I'm like, okay, I'll be back. I'll do it again. And I won't get paid again. (laughs) So, you know, when they say, you know, when you do what you love, it never feels like work. That's exactly how I feel. The passion overcomes the lack of income because I know karmically from past experience that that will all come. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you even said showing up and, and uh, doing the work and doing good thing, uh, good things will happen for you. Um, I'd love to like hear more about, so you're, you're now in Florida, you're educating, you're known as the, the, the color expert teaching people. You also have a, a book as well. I mean, it sounds like you, you just hit the ground running here with this. Well, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking that someone had to invite me into the world of education. And I think there's so many people probably listening right now that feel the same way. They have that burning passion. Like when I walked into my first hair show at, you know, 19 years old in beauty school, I saw Jerry Cazenza from Sebastian was on the stage and she had that wireless mic attached to her mouth and the music was pumping and everybody was crowded around her. And I was like, that is what I want to do. That is, that's my end goal for this world that I'm in of beauty. I want to be behind the chair right now, but my goal is to do that. And that never went away. Every show that I went to, I was in the front row, raising my hand, just looking at that educator, like I want to do this. And, you know, traditionally prior to Instagram, Facebook, all these social media outlets, there was no way to do it other than being with a manufacturer. And it was a long road of not a lot of income. You had to be that starving artist to be able to make it. And when I wanted to get started, you know, I looked into that. I I went to a couple of manufacturers, asked what I need to do. And when you have 30 years experience, or I was like 27 years in, you don't want to be told, you know, oh, you're going to get in your car and carry around a flip chart and go to salons and do a product knowledge class. And we're going to pay you $100 for your entire day, not including your travel time. So an eight hour day, you're getting $100. When you're behind the chair, you're getting $100 for an hour. So I just kept hitting that wall. And I was like, there has to be another way. So when I taught at the first Orlando show, everybody rushed the stage afterwards and said, how can we get more information? And I had nothing. I didn't have a book. I didn't have online courses. I didn't have any way of giving them more. I was like, oh, hopefully Orlando will invite me back. <laughs> that was like my, my answer. <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? I need to write a book because there's so much of this that can be put into one spot and a hairstylist can have it as their little hair color go to. And they, it's, you know, the size they can put it in the dispensary and refer to it. And that's how the book came about. It was a snowstorm in uh, 2015. And I sat down with my laptop and I just started to write. I didn't overthink number of pages, you know, the outline, all the bullet points. I just brain dumped and just, it was basically like a 98 page on online sentence, run run on sentence. (laughs) There is is no, uh, it is not going to be up for any scholarly uh, awards of, of writing skills, but the passion is there and the message is there. And it's been great. People, you know, comment all the time on it. I've sold thousands of copies. I had it made into an ebook, which I would love to offer your audience. Hopefully we can 
share a link in your show notes and they can get a complimentary digital version of the book. Um, that would be yes. a pleasure to give that gift yes. to your listeners. Absolutely, Elaine. We definitely will have in the show notes um, a link so people can uh, receive your book. What is the name of the book? It's called A Colorful Journey. A Colorful. Well, so far, it sounds like we've had a colorful journey. Very much. <laughs> I love that. So um, I'd love to hear, you know, you are teaching thousands and thousands of colorists um, every single day and helping colorists not only understand color, but also how to make more money with color. Is that right? Absolutely. Can you just dive in a little bit more into that about where are you seeing the disconnect here? What are, what are we missing? Um, two big things come to mind. Number one being the phone a friend uh, pricing structure. You know, I'm opening a salon. Let me call the salon to the right and the salon to the left, find out their prices and let me go somewhere in between. And that's unfortunately the, the way that most prices are set. And especially now with solo suites, people are leaving whatever salon they're with and just bringing the same pricing structure over for lack of knowing any, any better. And once you understand that there's a system to pricing and that you take your overall expenses and break it down per hour, per minute, per, you know, all of that, that there's a math equation to it. Um, just for a quick reference, your hair color price should be a minimum of 11 times the cost of the product. So if a tube of hair color costs you $8, your single process retouch should be $88. If you pulled, you know, a thousand hairstylists, you may find two that are charging $88 for a root retouch. So everything is out of whack. Um, not so much for the hair color companies. They continue to raise their prices unapologetically and frequently, and we're not leveling up to meet that. So we're, we're finding such small little windows of profitability. The average salon is eight to 10% profit and it's way too much work for eight to 10% profit. Mm -hmm. I think those salons stay open fueled on pure passion for the love of the craft. And we need to level that up and stop worrying about what our neighbor is doing. You know, there's different levels of expertise. There's different, you know, client, client avatars for lack of a, that's a, that's an online word, but I can't think of, of it in the salon world anymore. I've been in this online world, but every area is different. And one client, you know, thinks that she's not getting a quality service if she pays less than $300, where in one area, if you said $300, you wouldn't have a single soul in your chair. So you have to know your market, you have to know your experience, and you have to know your demand on your time. It all goes by the percentages of how booked you are. Hmm. I, I love that you're saying that too, because I, I find that there's just so many colorists, stylists that they're just constantly discounting to be discounting, or they're feeling guilty about charging extra money for color that's being used. I know as a salon owner, I'm like, you know, we're just spending a lot of money on color. It's just like a never ending expense, but you have to have the color in order to uh, do the services. And so having that color pricing rolled into the overall uh, ticket price is, is is crucial to make sure that you can be above the 8 to 10% industry standard of, of what the salon can. That's just unnerving. And uh, I hope to someday um, find a simple solution to debunk that 
status and statistic? The best thing that we ever did, not to plug another company on your podcast, but we instituted the VISH hair color measuring system and it completely changed our profit margins like you can't even imagine. It was stressful setting it up initially because, you know, you, you're not used to those steps of like weighing and pushing this button and doing this. But what happens is after every service, you are prompted to put the bowl back on the scale and measure the waste. And within three months, the computer adjusts every one of your formulas and tells you exactly how much you need for the next visit. And we have saved thousands of dollars in our color bill. And it also tells the front desk when you've used more than you normally do. So it adds it to the client's ticket. So now you as an owner don't need to depend on your too nice stylist that's like, oh, I used an extra ounce, but nobody needs to know. Or, oh, I glazed her ends, but I'm not going to charge her because, you know, she, her husband just lost his job. You know, we, we, get friendly mm -hmm. with our clients and we think mm -hmm. that they are our friends and your friends don't pay money to spend time with you. So that's the difference between a friend and friendly. You can be friendly and not discount. So I started telling my stylist, you know, every time you catch yourself giving away a service that you know you should have charged for, I want you to jot it down in a journal and put it next to your station. And my right hand girl, my, you know, number one colorist, wrote it all down. And it was a difference at the end of the year of $10,000 in her paycheck she would have had. So as soon as she saw that, she never did it again. Oh <laughs> my gosh. She charges when she does extra foils. She charges when she does a conditioning treatment. You know, she stopped all of that and she just bought a brand new car and she's doing all kinds of things to her home because she sees that she deserves it. You know, it's what happens to Jennifer is most times the client doesn't even know they're getting a break. Mm -hmm. We exactly. think making them feel so special. They don't even know. Oh. Yeah. I just want to like sh shake the, the people. And I think that we just need to wake up. I think, you know, with the businesses that had to close down and, you know, like California, they were shut down for about six months. It's, it's time that we really step up our game and really wise up of, of how to make this a profitable business and not, yes, we have fun and yes, we can be creative, but that should just be the icing on the cake. You know, I think that we need to, we go to work because we need to make money and we need to make money so we can live the life that we really want and need. Um, so I, I a hundred percent with you. What, what is the, what's the second one? The second one was what we just talked about, the giving away of the end glaze. For 15 years oh, okay. of owning a salon, <laughs> I would do a root retouch and then I would mix a separate, you know, liquid acidic demi color to refresh the ends. And it never occurred to me to charge extra. It just, it was like, oh, well, I have to color her whole head. And then I was like, no, that's a separate service and separate product. So I need to at least double the cost of the product and add that on. I don't need to make, you know, a ton of extra money on it, but it needs to be accounted for. So just that one thing alone, I think that's chronic in our industry, the not charging for the end glaze when it's a different product. It's, you know, your time, your expertise, your education, you're not gone are the days of grabbing, you know, the squirt bottle and adding a little bit of water and pulling everything through and having that alkaline, alkalinity running over the ends when you, all you need is a little refresh. 
Um, but just not charging for that. Just at the, the, oh, I'll just throw in a free brow wax. I'll just throw in doing a glaze on the ends. Oh, she only got a couple highlights. I'm not going to charge her for those where I always equate it to the restaurant business. When, when a stylist that I'm coaching says, but, um, oh, I feel bad. I'm like, when is the last time you went to a restaurant and you ordered an appetizer, an entree and a dessert and your waiter said appetizer and desserts on me? Never. Unless you had like mm-hmm. someone's hair in your dinner or a, a tooth or something <laughs> show up in your salad. You know, it's, it has to be like something was a mistake, but we don't expect it at a restaurant. We don't expect to go, you know, if I go for a cleaning at my dentist and he does a special fluoride treatment, I know when I go to check out my bill, I know I'm going to have a fluoride treatment on my bill. It's expected. So why is it not expected in a salon? I don't know where that all began, but it is literally chronic. Um, The average income, I just did a whole research on it and it's still hovering under $40,000. And these are people that are standing on their feet 10 to 12 hours a day, not using the restroom, not hydrating, not having a lunch break, let alone a dinner break, you know, working on the weekends when we should have been spending time with our children. You know, we sacrifice a lot and it should be a six figure job, in my opinion. And in my opinion, my goal is to get every single stylist to be a six figure stylist in four days. I think four days is more than enough with how physically demanding our career is. And it's so much easier than people think that it is to to hit hit that six figure mark. It's just charging what you should have been charging all along. Yeah. uh, You're saying Ellen. What's that? You cut out. I'm sorry. <laughs> Are you saying that working four days a week to be a six figure stylist? Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred. Yes. Love that. I love that you're saying that because it's, it's not about working harder. It's about working smarter. It's about charging correctly. Um, and, and I really believe that if you have all of those right tools and even with what you're teaching people as well about, using color correctly and effectively, that's going to allow the opportunity to not overuse color or have a lot of corrections. Absolutely. I love that. And you have such a a unique tool as well. Um, You've got a lot of different goodies that I'm going to make sure in the show notes to have links so people can find you. Um, But one of the things that stand out to me is, um, it is your your fearless your fearless formulation tool. Oh yes! Wow, what a labor of love that was. That took about a year to finally get that created. You know, most color manufacturers have those things in the back of the big thick binder with all the color swatches, and you know, most of the owners they get that book and they throw it in a corner and it collects dust and nobody even knows where it is, let alone how to use it. So I held on to one from one of the color companies. And when I teach, anywhere I teach, I pull it out and I use it as an example. And every single hand in the audience goes up and they say, where can I find that thing that you have in your hand? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't even know where I got this. So I took my time and I you know, Googled my heart out and went down many dead end roads to having it create it and finally had it made. And now I tie it into a workshop called the Fearless Formulation 21 Day Challenge. So you receive that 
tool, which is great to have in your arsenal in your color mixing area. And it's small enough that, you know, it's not cumbersome. You don't have to find a big drawer for, for it. And you can hold it up to your client and truly see what their natural level is. In my experience as an educator, where things go wrong with formulation is 90% of the time, the percentage of gray is misread and the natural level is misread. So someone will say, oh, she's a natural level seven. And I'm like, is she really a seven? Because I've been doing this for 34 years and I think I've had a seven in my chair maybe 10 times. So I think the numbering system in people's minds causes them to formulate based on it being a seven when in reality it's a five. And there's a big difference between a natural five and a natural seven in lightning hair. So the yeah. finder has like the natural level, the percentage of gray finder, and it also has that remaining pigment contribution that we talked about from that first hair show that I went to showing you what does an eight look like? If I had a dollar for every person on forums that says, I just want to get her to a cool level eight, to which I answer level eight is not cool. It's not a cool level. It's an orange level. It's always going to be orange, no matter what you formulate with. When you get to a level eight, it's warm. So these swatches show you, <laughs> physically show you, look at what you're going to get when you get to an eight. Do you want that? Because if you don't, then you need to do this. So it, it makes formulating so much easier. And it comes down to a basic third grade math equation and using that tool. And I, can, I taught my son how to formulate in a beach walk. We were walking on the beach and by the time we got back to the house, he knew how to formulate. It's just so much simpler than we've made it out to be. Um, because I think the biggest, if there's one nugget that people take away from this whole interview, it's when things go wrong in hair color, 90% of the time you were attempting to do the impossible and you just didn't know. Mm. Mm, that's good. That's comforting. <laughs> comforting and awakening, right? Yes. I love that. Elaine, you are just so awesome. And I thank you so much for um, sharing all of your inspiration and education with us. Um, how can our listeners get in touch with you and find out more about you? My website is expertcolorsolutions with an S.com. All of my courses are on there. The Fearless Formulation Tool is on there. You can get the book. You're all going to get the digital version of the book. But if you prefer a paperback copy, I can send signed copies out through the website as well. My Instagram is the same, Expert Color Solutions. And, you know, I have a, a monthly membership that my students have gotten so much success with um, just having me help them with things along the way and having access to me the entire time that they're in the membership. We do monthly coaching calls. We do an in-person retreat once a year. That's a lot of fun. So it's a great community. And also I would love for anyone listening to find me on my coffee chats. I'm on Expert Color Solutions on Facebook. Every Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern, I do a coffee chat about hair color every week. I love it. I love it. And your podcast. Oh, and my podcast. Expert. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and my podcast, Ask the Color Expert. So Jennifer is going to be my next guest. She's, I'm going to have her on my podcast. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. We so appreciate everything that you're doing in our industry and for sharing your journey and story. It's a colorful one. And we are just so excited to meet you and learn more about you. And I'm sure all of the listeners are going to be so excited to learn more with you.
Thank you, Elaine. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and honor to be here. I really appreciate your time and uh, can't wait to connect in the future. Thanks for listening to the Beauty Business Game Changer Podcast. If you love to keep track of your favorite shows, then subscribe to this podcast to receive the newest edition when it's released. This podcast was created with you in mind, so I'd love to get your review to learn how this podcast has helped you in your career. And because I love my listeners and want to connect more, join me in our free Facebook community at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash salon and suite business. My mission is to help beauty professionals like you create a career that supports the life you want to live. Thank you for being a part of the journey. Thank you.